As I come to you to speak this morning, I'm reminded of an experience from the book, Monkey Off My Back. It's a book about uh, a fellow who spent more than 30 years of his life in jail. And while he was in jail, and maybe you feel like you're in jail, but uh, he spent more than 30 years of his life in jail. And uh, during that time, the Lord was pleased to save him, primarily through some chapel services that they had in this federal penitentiary where uh, he was imprisoned. He, in that book, he tells of one experience he had. All of these uh, hardened criminals were there in the chapel, and a young fellow from a seminary had been asked to come and speak to them. So when this young fellow got up to speak, uh, he was somewhat nervous uh, because, well, he was speaking to hardened criminals in a federal penitentiary, and he hadn't done that much preaching anyway. And so uh, when he started, in his nervousness, he said, Ladies and gentlemen, and there were only men in that penitentiary, and so they just broke up and began to laugh at the guy, which made him all the more nervous. And he was fishing around for another way to start. And so he said, fellow citizens. And they again broke up in laughter because prisoners in a federal penitentiary lose the rights of citizenship. And finally, in his nervousness, he said, well, I certainly am glad to see all of you here. Well, I certainly am glad to see all of you here, because as I was walking around campus on Friday, I had student after student come up to me and tell me they were leaving Friday afternoon or they were leaving Saturday, and I began to wonder if I was going to be preaching to myself this morning, but I certainly am glad to see all of you here. Now, last Friday, when I was asked to speak in chapel this morning, I began to think about, well, what shall I speak about? And... I ran through a list of topics and passages of Scripture that I might speak about. But then I went to the Lord in prayer and began to ask God uh, what He would have me bring to you this morning. And I turned to some other people and asked them what they thought would be appropriate. And out of all that, I, of course, was reminded that this is Thanksgiving week. And so I decided to speak to you this morning on the subject of developing an attitude of gratitude. And as the basis for our thoughts, I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, where the Bible says, It came about while he, that is Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, there met him ten leprous men who stood at a distance. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Were none found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith 
has made you whole. Now, when it comes to this matter of gratitude, I believe that people go through life with one of three attitudes. And I believe that every one of those attitudes is represented here this morning. Each of you fits into one of these three categories in reference to the matter of gratitude. Some people go through life with a grumbling attitude. They're like the children of Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In that passage, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Uh, that's the Shekinah glory cloud. They all experienced the presence of God manifested in the Shekinah glory. All of them passed through the sea. Every one of them went through the Red Sea. They saw God roll back the waters of the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. They got to the other side. The Egyptians followed them, and they saw the Egyptians destroyed by the closing of the waters. They all saw that. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That is, they identified themselves with Moses in the experience of the Shekinah glory in the cloud and in going through the Red Sea. All of them ate the same spiritual food. They all experienced God giving them manna out of heaven day after day, supplying their needs in a miraculous way. And all of them drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. All of them, when they were thirsty, got water out of the rock. They all had these fantastic spiritual blessings and experiences with God. Nevertheless, the Bible says, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were low, laid low in the wilderness. And as you go through this, you find out in verse 10 that in spite of all of their spiritual blessings, and they're listed there in verses 1 through 4, in spite of all these evidences of the presence of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, they grumbled, says verse 10, as some of them, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Out there in the wilderness, in spite of their tremendous blessings, these people grumbled their way through the wilderness. Well, some of us are like these people. You know, nothing ever suits. Nothing's ever good enough. If it's hot, it's too hot. If it's cold, it's too cold. If it's wet, it's too wet. If it's dry, it's too dry. We just grumble and complain about everything. You give us a, a donut and we complain about the hole in the middle. Some of us are like the people who are described in the poem, The Grumbler's Song. It goes like this. In country town or city, some people can be found who spend their lives in grumbling at everything around. Oh, yes, they always grumble, no matter what we say, for these are chronic grumblers. And they grumble night and day. They grumble in the city. They grumble on the farm. They grumble at their neighbors. They think it is no harm. They grumble at their husbands. They grumble at their wives. They grumble at their children. But the grumbler never thrives. They grumble when it's raining. They grumble when it's dry. And if the crops are failing, they grumble and they sigh. They grumble at low prices and grumble when they're high. They grumble all year round and they grumble till they die. Oh, they grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, grumble on Thursday too, grumble on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, grumble the whole week through. Yes, there's some people in our world who 
go through life with a grumbling attitude, and I believe there are some people in that particular category in this room this morning. Reminds me of a fellow who always looked at things from a negative point of view. He could find something wrong with everything. Well, this fellow had a neighbor who had a terrific bird dog, and he liked to hunt, and, and he, he was really proud of his bird dog. So one day when he was talking to this pessimistic neighbor about his bird dog, this pessimistic, pessimistic neighbor said, Oh, I bet he's not that good. I don't think he's as good as you say he is. And this fellow with the bird dog said, Well, why don't you go with me duck hunting, and I'll show you how good he is. And so the guy agreed, and one morning they went out, and they got there in their duck blind, and he got out his duck call, and he quack-quacked and tried to call the ducks there. And finally, uh, a flock of ducks came uh, flying toward them. And the guy raised up his gun, and he went, boom, 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 boom. And three ducks fell down on the water uh, just off of the land where they were situated. And when the ducks were floating there on the water, the man said to his dog, Okay, Rover, go get them. And Rover walked out to get that first duck on top of the water, picked it up and brought it back to the man, laid it down, walked out on top of the water for the second duck, brought it back, walked out for the third duck on top of the water and brought it back. And then this man with his bird dog turned to his pessimistic friend and he said, now what do you think about my dog? And the man said, what's the matter? Can't he swim? There are some people who can find fault with everything. They're constant grumblers. There are also some people who go through life with a take-it-for-granted attitude. They don't grumble. They don't complain. They don't gripe. They just don't express appreciation. They take it for granted. They're like the nine lepers in Luke chapter 17. Nine of them, as well as the other one, asked Jesus for help. They received it, but when he healed them, uh, they never came back to say thank you. They just took it for granted. They deserved it. He owed it to them. And so they went on their way without ever giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're like the people of whom Paul speaks in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. We read there of the mass of humanity apart from Christ, and even some of us, at least to some extent, who are in Christ, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they came, became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They took the glory to themselves instead of giving it to God. They took the blessings of God, the evidences of God's sovereignty, wisdom, power, and even His goodness in the world around them. They took it for granted. And they didn't honor Him. They didn't give Him the credit. They didn't give Him glory. They just went on their way as though... They deserved it, and God didn't really deserve the praise. They took it for granted. And so there are many people today who go through life with a take-it-for-granted attitude. There are some of you here 
who take God's blessings for granted. You act as if you deserve them, as if God owes them to you. You're among this crowd. But then the third attitude about gratitude that some people have in our world today is that there are some people who go through life with this attitude of gratitude. They're like this one leper in Luke chapter 17. He was on his way. He recognized that he had been healed. He turned around and he came back. And the Bible says that he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. These people go through life like the psalmist who said in Psalm 34 and verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. These people are like Daniel. Remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 6? He had some people who were jealous of him and they went to the king and they said, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish the statute and force an injunction and so forth. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Therefore, the Bible says, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, the amazing thing is the next verse. The next verse says that right after King Darius had signed this document, Daniel knew that the document was signed. He, he wasn't doing this in ignorance. He knew full well what had happened. He entered his house. Now in his house, cha roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. In this situation where he knew that his life was in danger, he could very well lose his life, be thrown into the uh, lion's den. He goes into his chamber and he prays and he gives thanks to God. He was a man who went through life with an attitude of gratitude, regardless of the circumstances around him. These people who go through life with an attitude of gratitude are like Paul and Silas in Acts 16. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas have been captured, they've been arrested, they've been beaten, they've been thrown into a dark, damp dungeon in Philippi. And the Bible says at midnight, doesn't say they were grumbling and complaining and griping, oh God, why did you allow this to happen? Here we are serving you, doing your will, running all over the world to preach the gospel, and this is what we get. No, no, it says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. They had an attitude of gratitude that wasn't dependent upon the circumstances around them. Some time ago, I read a book by a, about a fellow whose name was Billy Bray. Billy Bray was an Englishman 
who had been a coal miner. He was a wicked, ungodly man who lived a very unrighteous life. And then he heard the gospel, and God marvelously saved him. And Billy Bray was so turned around that he just exuded praise and thanksgiving to God. He used to say, when I lift one foot, it says, glory to God. And when I lift the other foot, it says, praise the Lord. And wherever he went, he was just praising the Lord. And sometimes people would really get a little upset with Billy for praising the Lord so much. So one day, somebody said to him, Billy, if you don't stop praising the Lord the way you're doing it, I'm going to put you in a barrel and seal up that barrel. And Billy said, if you put me in a barrel and seal up that barrel, I'll shout praise the Lord through the bunghole. I mean, he was a man who, regardless of circumstances, praised the Lord. He had an attitude of gratitude. Now, the story in Luke chapter 17 about the ten lepers teaches us at least three things about this attitude of gratitude. First of all, this story in Luke 17 teaches us that God wants us to praise Him. It teaches us that God wants us to have an attitude of gratitude. We read in verse 17 that when this man came back, Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Were none found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Where are they? They should have been here too. You shouldn't be the only one who's come back. All of them should have come back is what he's saying. And that indicates that God wants us to praise him. Now, in the Bible, there are more than 140 references to giving thanks to God. Thirty-five of these references are in the Psalms. Again and again, in the book of Psalms, we have the psalmist expressing his praise to God. I already mentioned one of those occurrences in Psalm 34 and verse 1 where the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. In Psalm 71 and verse 6, he says, By thee I have been sustained from my birth. Thou art he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of thee. And so again and again, you find the psalmist expressing his gratitude to God. But in the Psalms, the psalmist not only expressed his own personal gratitude to God, he exhorted others to join him in praising God. And Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, the Scripture says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And we all know Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, which says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And so again and again in the Psalms, we are commanded to give praise to the Lord. Psalm 103 is a very interesting psalm in this regard. 
at the beginning of the psalm, you have the psalmist commanding his own soul to bless the Lord. And then he goes on to list some of the reasons why his soul should bless the Lord. And as he's giving these reasons for blessing the Lord, uh, he gets so charged up that by the time he comes to the end of the psalm, he turns from exhorting himself to exhorting other people, to exhorting the angels, and to exhorting all of creation to join together in giving God the thanks and praise that he deserves. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so here you have in the Old Testament all of these expressions of praise and exhortations to praise. And what you find in the Old Testament is repeated in the New Testament. When you turn to the writings of Paul, you have 18 references to giving thanks. Many of them are Paul's own expression of gratitude. Almost every letter that he wrote begins with an expression of thanks. In Romans 1 and verse 8, when he writes to the Romans, uh, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And when he writes to uh, the uh, Corinthians, he does the same in chapter 1. I thank my God always concerning you. And when he writes to the Ephesians, he does the same. Uh, listen to what he says in Ephesians 1 and verse 15. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And when he writes to the Philippians, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God with thanksgiving. And when he writes to the Colossians, listen to what he says here in chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. He says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Paul says you ought to overflow with gratitude because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he returns to this theme in verse 15 where he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And then verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Chapter 4 and verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thankfulness. And so the Apostle Paul not only expressed his own thanks to God again and again, he did it continuously, he says. It was a habit pattern of his life. But he also constantly was exhorting others to join him in giving thanks to God. He says in Ephesians 5 and verse 20, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He says uh, to the Thessalonians, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In Hebrews 13, 15, we're commanded to continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, namely the fruit of our lips. And when you turn to the book of Revelation, and God gives us a peek 
into what we're going to be doing in heaven and what the saints and the angels who are now in heaven are doing, this is what we read in Revelation chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who sits forever, who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and they will worship Him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art Thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou didst create all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And so it's evident from the Word of God that God wants us to have an attitude of gratitude, the kind of attitude that this one leper who was healed had when he came, fell on his face and gave thanks to the Lord. And I ask you this morning, do you have that kind of an attitude that regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's happening around you, you're in prison like the Apostle Paul, your life is in danger like Daniel, do you have such an attitude of gratitude that you're giving thanks to God and you can say with the psalmist, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Well, the second thing that this story in Luke chapter 17 indicates about this attitude of gratitude is that a lack of an attitude of gratitude is serious. This is not just incidental. It's not a nice piece of information, but it's irrelevant. No, a lack of an attitude of gratitude is serious. Our Lord said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? He paid attention. He noted that nine of them never returned to give thanks. And the next verse says, were none found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, what's he saying there? He's saying that giving thanks to God is a means of giving glory to God. In verse 16, the leper gave thanks. In verse 18, Jesus interprets what the leper is doing, and he's suggesting that the leper is giving glory to God. Now, it's a serious thing to fail to give glory to God. The Bible makes that very clear. Think of what Paul says God does when people don't give him the glory in Romans chapter 1. See, that's the whole point. That's where Romans 1 begins, where here are people in verse 21 who are not honoring God as God, and they're not giving thanks to Him. They're taking the credit to themselves. And verse 23, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God uh, for an image of the form of corruptible man. They give the glory to man, uh, to things in this world that belongs to God. And then it says in verse 25, 
they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And one of the lies for which they exchanged the truth of God is the lie that man deserves the glory. Man deserves the credit. That's a lie. God alone deserves the glory. And God will not share His glory with another. Think of what happened to Herod in Acts chapter 10, verses 20 through 23, or Acts chapter 12, rather, verses 20 through 23, when Herod tried to usurp the glory that belongs to God. It says here, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. He was taking credit and glory that belonged only to God. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Why did the angel of the Lord strike him? Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he died. Now that's what God thinks about people who don't give him the glory. Thank God that he doesn't cause what happened to Herod to happen to all of us who don't give the glory or the world would be emptied of a lot of people. In fact, there'd be a lot of us who wouldn't be here at the Master's College because by this time we would have been eaten by worms and we would have died. But this particular account indicates God's attitude toward those who do not give Him the glory, but rather take it to themselves. And you're all familiar with the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, where he took the glory to himself. He thought that it was because of his wisdom, his power, his ingenuity, his resources, that he'd been able to conquer the world at that time. And he lifted himself up with pride. And Daniel says it was because he had taken the glory to himself and lifted himself up with pride that some horrible affliction came upon him. He went out into the fields, allowed his fingernails to grow long, and he ate grass just like the beasts of the field. That was a judgment from God upon him because he took the glory to himself. And, of course, we have the record of the Israelites, what God did to them when they grumbled. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 10, we're told that we should not grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. They grumbled and they were destroyed. And if you want to read about that and see how horrible it was, then read Numbers 10 and Numbers chapter 11. Well, Luke chapter 17 doesn't tell us of any horrible thing that happened to the nine lepers uh, who refrained from coming back and giving thanks. But it does imply that they missed out on a blessing. In verse 19, to this one leper who returned, our Lord said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This man was blessed by the Lord. This man heard the words of Jesus giving him assurance that he was well. The other guys might have gone on their way and uh, for a long time to come they might have thought, well, it might return. How do I know? 
I've really been cured. Maybe it's just a, a, a temporary remission. But here was a guy who returned and he heard the Lord say, your faith has made you well. He received assurance from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that he was well. He received a commendation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with us. When we fail to praise the Lord, we miss out on a blessing. The other nine missed out on this blessing. We miss out on a blessing as well. What are some of the blessings that we miss out on when we fail to develop this attitude of gratitude? Well, one of the blessings is the blessing of encouraging others. You know, the person who's filled with praise and and gratitude is a person who's used by God. Do you want to be used by God? I'll tell you the kind of people who are used by God. They're the kind of people who are filled with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. The psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. See, when you begin to praise and thank the Lord, what happens is others get encouraged. Others are stimulated. Others are inspired. Praise is contagious. It's just like negativism is contagious. Pessimism is contagious. Your grumbling and griping is contagious. You spend time with a grumbler or a griper and it it just kind of grabs you. It's like chicken pox. My wife teaches school. And last week, one of the children came down with chicken pox. The next day, two or three more came down with chicken pox. And by the end of the week, six or seven out of her 19 children had chicken pox. And she said, I don't know what to expect when I go back this week because probably the rest of them will have had chicken pox. And somebody gets chicken pox, they just want to share it. And you know, when we praise and give thanks to the Lord, it encourages others as well. Do you want to be an encourager? Do you want to be a comforter? Do you want to be a stimulator? Do you want to be the kind of person who is used of God? Then develop an attitude of gratitude. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, there's a, just an incredible passage of Scripture. I still use that word even though Doug said we shouldn't. Second, Corinthians, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Because what I mean by it is it's amazing, it's magnificent, it's fantastic. In 2 Chronicles 20, you have uh, some of the enemies of, of the people of God of Judah who are gathering together against uh, the uh, people. And Jehoshaphat, who is the king, first of all, he's afraid. Then he turns to God in prayer. He gets a plan of operation from the Lord. And it says in verses 19 and following, that the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in the prophets and succeed. Now, the next verse. Listen to what he said. what it says. And when he had consulted with the people... He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised Him in holy attire as they went out before the army. And He said, Give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness is everlasting. And verse 22 says, And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes 
against the sons of Ammon. Now, I don't think it's by accident that this verse says that it was when they began praising that the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon. You see, God works in a powerful and special way in the midst of His people when they praise Him and when they give thanks to Him. And I don't think it's by accident that Acts chapter 16 and verse 25 which says that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to the Lord. And the next verse says, and there was a great earthquake. You see, it was when they were praising that God moved in a powerful way. And it's in the context of thanksgiving and praise that God is pleased to work. You want to see God work in our day? I don't find any encouragement in the Word of God to believe that He works powerfully in the midst of the people who are grumbling and griping and complaining, in the midst of the people who are down in the mouth. I don't find any encouragement to believe that He works powerfully in the midst of the people who are taking His blessings and His benefits for granted, but I find all kinds of encouragement to believe that God comes in a special, mighty, and powerful way to work in the midst of His people and for His people when they begin to pray. Now, what are some of the other benefits we experience when we develop an attitude of gratitude? Well, we experience peace. We experience peace. Philippians 4 and verse 7 talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Philippians 4.8 says, Let your mind dwell on the things which are lovely, honorable, right, just, pure, the things which are worthy of praise. There's a connection between experiencing the peace of God and giving God praise, dwelling, thinking on the things that are praiseworthy. When people praise the Lord, they have the experience of joy. I've seen people who have been down in the mouth. They've been looking at what they don't have. They've been just looking at the negative aspect of their circumstances. They turned around and they began to think upon the blessings of God and really believe the Word of God. And their experience of mourning has been turned into joy. They experience contentment. They experience fellowship with other people. In Psalm 103, the psalmist begins by exhorting himself to bless the Lord. Why does he say that to himself, he says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It's as if he were taking himself by the scruff of the neck, backing himself up into a corner, stepping outside of himself, and saying, now you stop this. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that's within me, bless His holy name. Now if you didn't get it, I'm going to say it again. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And don't you forget all of His benefits. And then he goes through, reminding himself of all of his benefits. And by the time he gets, he gets done exhorting himself and reminding himself of all of his benefits, he's so charged up that he wants, he's leading the choir and inviting others to join him in giving praise to God. So, here we have an important truth, namely that those who do not develop an attitude of gratitude miss out on a lot of the blessings of God. Let me share with you a contemporary illustration of what happened in one lady who decided to develop the attitude of gratitude. She had a husband who was messy. I mean, he, he was just uh, sloppy. 
And that bothered her. She says, the battlefield of our home and marriage was a messy dining room table. My husband used it as a catch-all for his papers and belongings and refused to keep it neat. I could keep the rest of the house clean, but he wouldn't let me touch his table. After years of trying to overlook this irritation, I found that it had produced deep feelings of anger, frustration, and bitterness toward my husband. I was humiliated whenever guests would arrive. I just knew they were judging me by the appearance of all that clutter. In desperation, I sought help. Another, and, and she was told that she should begin to give thanks. I was willing to give thanks to God for the table, but I surely couldn't see any reason for him allowing the irritation to be there in the first place. My friend uh, gave me a project that I thought totally impossible, but it proved to be the turning point in rebuilding the, our marriage. The project was simply to list all the spiritual benefits for the messy table. I assured my friend that I wouldn't be able to think of any, but I agreed to write down anything that might come to my mind. After a few weeks, I still couldn't think of any benefits from that messy table, but I asked God to show me some if there were any. By the end of four months, I was amazed and excited at a list of ten attitudes which God was beginning to build into my life because of that messy table. Humility was the first one. Every time a guest looked at that table, I got a little more humility and remembered God's promise in James 4, 7. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. With all that grace, I found the desire and power to develop the nine qualities of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, by overlooking the table as a proof that I love my husband. Joy, resulting from building character in my life. Peace, by not being troubled by temporal concerns. Patience by not giving God a deadline to remove the problem. Gentleness in my responses to my husband and family. Faith in visualizing how God is using the table for my spiritual growth. Meekness by giving up my rights to a clean table. Godliness by learning God, God's responses to situations resulting from the table. And self-control by quickly obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit whenever I see the table. Without realizing what was happening, that table had taken on a whole new meaning for me. I can honestly say that I am thankful for it. In fact, if my husband were ever to clean it up, I would want to retain it in my mind as a stimulus to my growth in grace. So, we need to develop that attitude of gratitude. It has tremendous benefits. Now, as I said, the story of the Nine lepers who didn't return makes it clear that failure to give thanks is serious. I'm sure the nine fellows who failed to return had a lot of good reasons that they gave for not returning to give thanks. I mean, they had just been healed. And he had told them to go and tell it to the priests. And besides that, their families would be excited about hearing and knowing that they had been healed. I mean, they, they probably had a, a lot of good reasons for not returning. But according to Jesus, their reasons were not acceptable. And we often have a lot of good reasons for not giving thanks to God. We're so busy, you know. We get distracted. Besides that, look at all the bad things that are happening in our life. All of our horrible circumstances. We're not getting the grades that we want. We've got too much work to do. Too many papers to turn in. 
The cost of education is too high. And my teachers aren't even exciting. And we have all kinds of reasons. The kids here don't treat me the way I ought to be treated. They don't respect me. They don't accept me. They don't appreciate me. I mean, with all of these things going on in my life, how can you expect me to be a person who has an attitude of gratitude? We give these reasons. Basically, the Bible makes it clear that the reason we don't have an attitude of gratitude is because of our sinful pride. I don't have time to develop this, but I encourage you to study it in Romans chapter 1. Study it also in uh, some of the other passages of the Bible, uh, like 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. It says, in the last days perilous times shall come and men shall be lovers of themselves. And all of these horrible things that flow out of being lover of yourself. The basic problem that we have is that we love ourselves. We're so self-centered. We're so proud. We think we deserve everything we get. It reminds me of my brother-in-law who died a few years ago of cancer. He was 58 years of age when he died. He was 56 when he got cancer. He was a lawyer, had a good practice, had been a district attorney in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, lived a fruitful life, had asked him to become a judge. I mean, he had a lot of things that were going for him. And then at 56 years of age, uh, he got cancer. And two years later, he died. And during that whole time, as I watched Duke, which was his nickname, I never saw him complain. I never heard him gripe. I never heard him moan. I never heard him sit around with self-pity. And one day I sat down with him shortly before he died. And I said to him, Duke, I want to know. I said, what has kept you from complaining and griping and murmuring and being filled with self-pity and crying out against God? I've never seen you that way. I've just seen you with, a, with an attitude of confidence and joy in the Lord. I've heard you praising the Lord and giving thanks to God. What has kept you in that spirit? And this is what he said. Wayne, he said, every day out of hell is a gift of God's grace. He said, if I got what I deserved, I would have been in hell a long time ago. I deserve hell. And I'm going to heaven. He said, and if it doesn't work now, it doesn't work. If I don't believe what the Bible says about heaven, then all of my profession of faith has been in vain. But he says, if, if it's true what the Bible says about heaven, what do I got to lose? And so here was a man who realized what he deserved. He deserved hell. He was a sinner. And anything short of hell was of God's mercy and grace. And that caused him to really anticipate heaven. And you know the reason we grumble and we complain and we take things for granted is because we really don't understand how sinful we are and how much we deserve hell. We're so proud. I deserve this. People ought to respect me. I ought to have this. I ought to have the other thing. And God says, no, anything short of hell is a gift of my grace and of my mercy. So, this passage makes it clear 
that failure to give God praise is serious. Now, one other thing, and we'll hurry through this. Third, this passage makes it clear that people who go through life with an attitude of gratitude are rare. People who go through life with an attitude of gratitude are rare. This passage says there was only one out of the nine who returned to give God thanks. In 1 Corinthians 10, God says of His people in the wilderness, most of them displeased God and were grumblers. Gratitude is rare. And with this, the rest of the Bible agrees. Romans 1 paints the human race as a race that does not honor God or give Him glory. Romans 3 Verses 10 through 18 points, paints us as people whose cursing and bitterness is on our lips. Not praise, not thanksgiving, but cursing and bitterness. And 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2 talks about one of the characteristics of the last time is that people are going to be ungrateful. Colossians 2, 7 says that people overflow with praise when they are vitally united to Jesus Christ. And we don't overflow flow with praise because we're not vitally related to Jesus Christ. And what the Bible indicates about the rareness of an attitude of gratitude, contemporary experience also confirms. I mean, if you just listen around you, what do you hear most of? Be honest. What do you hear most of? I suggest to you that if you listen closely to what people are saying, either you hear more grumbling and griping and complaining than you do praising, or you don't hear anything at all. They're just silent. Real gratitude to God is rare. Now, it's rare in, in terms of our relationships with people. Now, one of the things the Apostle Paul was not afraid to do was to let people know that he appreciated them. In almost every letter that he wrote, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He held before them the example of Epaphras in Colossians 4 and verse 12. He's quite a guy, he says. In Romans 16, he writes an entire chapter praising various people, listing their good qualities. Now, he did that for the sake of others, but the other people read that, and they read what the Apostle Paul thought about them. He wrote about Timothy in Philippians 2. I don't have anybody like him. Then he writes about Epaphroditus, who for the sake of Christ almost died. And on and on through his epistles, he's expressing his appreciation, his gratitude for the people of God. Do you do that? Do you do that? I heard of one teacher who got a letter from one of her students when he was 40 years of age. And when she got that letter, she was in her late 50s when she got the letter. When she got that letter, she sat down and she cried. And she said that this was the first letter of appreciation that she had ever received from any of her students. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 6 that you are to share all good things with those who teach you. Which means that teachers and professors and your pastors and your elders and whatever ought to be encouraging you. But you have a responsibility to encourage them too. And when Paul writes to the Romans, he says, I want to come to you that I might encourage you, but I want to come to you that I might be encouraged by you, that we might mutually encourage one another. And that ought to be going on. And what about your parents? 
you take what your parents have done for you and what they're doing for you now for granted? Do you appreciate the fact that some of them are sacrificing to have you here at college? Have you said thank you? Do you let them know how much you appreciate what they're doing so that you might have what you have? Well, I believe the Bible would have us do that. But appreciation among people, parents, children, husbands, wives, friends, is such a rare thing. We complain, we gripe, we find fault, we criticize. We violate Philippians 4.8, which says we're to let our minds dwell on the things which are excellent, the things which are worthy of praise. But it's not only a rare thing in terms of our relationship with people, it's a rare thing in terms of our relationship with God. God, according to the psalmist, daily loads us with benefits. Every day He loads us with benefits. He loads us with common benefits, the kind of benefits that people who aren't even Christians have, the rain, the sunshine, breath, health, all of these things. God doesn't have to give them things to, those things to us. But he does. Do we thank him for it? Do we say, well, I, I deserve it? Or do we grumble and complain about what we don't have? And what about the special blessings that are unique to you? I mean, God deals with you as an individual. As I look back over my life, there are some special people that God has used in my life. I'm a Christian today because a fellow in high school witnessed to me and took me to a service where I heard the gospel. I'm eternally grateful to Fred Smith. And along the way, there have been people who have touched my life and they've discipled me, they've encouraged me. I think of a lady who had a Bible study. The only spiritual teaching I got after I became a Christian went to her Bible study every Sunday afternoon. And I got a little bit of Bible teaching. I was in a church that wasn't a good church, didn't know any better to get out of it. But she fed me the Word of God. And along the line, God has brought people into my life who have touched my life. Am I thankful? Have I thanked them? Have you thanked people? And special trials that you have in your life. Do you thank God for the trials? Count it all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. But not only for the special blessings that are unique to you from God, how about the heavenly blessings? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are you really grateful for your your spiritual blessing? What would it be like to not know the forgiveness of God? To go to bed at night and not know that God has wiped out your sin? What would it be like not to have a sense of God's presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit and to have the Bible and to have the church and to have Christian friends? All of these spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon. Do you take them for granted? Or do you grumble that you don't have enough of them? Or are you like this man in Luke chapter 17 that you're constantly on your face giving thanks to God and giving glory to God? Well, all too often we're like this fellow whose name was Grumbletone. There was a boy named Grumbletone who ran away to sea. I'm sick of things on land, he said, as sick as I can be. A life upon the bounding wave will suit a lad like me. The seething ocean billows failed to stimulate his mirth, for he did not like the vessel nor the dizzy rolling berth. And he thought the sea was almost as unpleasant as the earth. He wandered into foreign lands. He saw each wondrous sight. 
But nothing that he heard or saw seemed just exactly right. And so he journeyed on and on, till still seeking for delight. He talked with kings and ladies fair. He dined in courts, they say, but always found the people dull and longed to get away, to search for that mysterious land where he should like to stay. He wandered over all the world. His hair grew white as snow. He reached the final place at last where all of us must go, but never found the land he sought. The reason you would know? The reason was that north or south, where'er his steps were bent, on land or sea, in court or hall, he found but discontent, for he took his disposition with him everywhere he went. And we take a disposition of grumbling and griping with us wherever we go, and so it doesn't matter where we go in this world. We find something to complain about. May God challenge you. May God challenge me. May he bring this passage home to our hearts and stir us to be committed to be like the tenth leper developing an attitude of gratitude, singing praise to our God. May the motto of our lives be that of the psalmist when he said, I will bless the Lord at all times.